The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. It's all about what we're focusing our lives on. That's what this, this whole book is, is about, what we're focusing ourselves on. If we're living for the here and now, it makes total sense that circumstances here and now would draw us away from God. If our lives are living for all of what's here and now in this life, then of course, when those things start to get kind of crazy, that will affect our joy, that will affect our, uh, our heart. If we're living with a kingdom focus, a higher focus, our future hope of glory, then it makes no sense to get caught up in our circumstances because we realize that this life is but a vapor. The life that we live is so short. It seems when you're young, like, man, it's forever until you get to be, you know, 60 years old. But the older I get, the more 60 is really young, right? That's not that far away. (laughs) This is how Paul can remain in the joy of his salvation, even during deep and painful persecution. Paul faced deep and painful persecution. But even in the midst of all that, he writes this letter with immense joy. Last week we talked about the focus that Paul had, and this week we're going to look at some of the outcomes of that kind of focus. So let's, let's start reading together in verse 21. This is going to be kind of a recap of that focus. Here's what he says, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That right there is a verse with so much truth and so much power. If you just spent, we could spend all day just talking about that. It goes on, it says, now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. We can see in Paul's words, we can see in Paul's actions that his focus was not on the things of this world. Paul could care less about any of the things this world has to offer. He didn't care about money. He didn't care about wealth. He didn't care about uh, prestige. He didn't care about his education. He didn't care about any of those things. He cared about living for Christ. For Paul to live meant to advance Christ, to live as Christ, that For him, that meant to advance Christ, to continue to preach the gospel, to continue to advance the kingdom. For for Paul, wealth, power, social standing, career advancement, possessions, and all such things, in his mind, he understood that they were temporal. They they, they were fleeting. They uh, They have no eternal value. Therefore, they're not worthy of our life's pursuit. For Paul, life was all about Jesus. He traveled for Christ. He preached for Christ. He was persecuted and imprisoned for Christ. Ultimately, he died for Christ. That's that's the life that Paul lived. His life was all about Jesus. And sadly, this is simply not true about most professing Christians today. If if, if we're honest, this isn't true about us. We've become infatuated with the things of this world. We want the nice house. We want the nice neighborhood. We want the nice car. We want the comfort of a healthy retirement account. We want our kids to be liked and popular among their kids. We want people to, to, to think we've got it all together. We want to be liked and accepted. We live our lives for ourselves. This is just true. And we can, we can try to argue and, and try to make ourselves feel better about our life choices, but the reality is that most professing Christians today are living for themselves. 
We live for the things of this world, not for Christ. And I think it's time that we as a church admit it and we repent of it. I think, I think it's time for us to stop you know, making room for, for, for selfish decisions in our life and living for our own desires and that we acknowledge that we have sin in our hearts and that we need to repent of it and start to live for Christ. So Paul says to live as Christ, but he also says to die as gain. It's because his focus on his future that he could live for Christ. Right? Paul's focus was on the future hope of glory that he was going to receive and, and his reward that he was going to receive when he got to heaven. That's what he lived his focus on, right? His, his focus in his life was on that reward. And because of that, he was able to live his life for Christ. All the other things didn't matter because he's not thinking about here and now. He's thinking about the future in heaven, the future glory that he'll have when he sees his Savior face to face. For Paul, life was all about Christ and death was all about gain. To die meant reward. Paul was an impossible person. Can you imagine being the person responsible for threatening Paul? Like to go to Paul and be like, Paul, if you don't stop preaching Jesus, we're going to kill you. And he's like, yes. <laughs> to die is gain. Right? And, and they go to Paul and say, all right, well, Paul, if you don't stop preaching Jesus, we're going to beat you and put you in prison. And he's like, yes, to live as Christ. I'm going to preach to the guard that you chained me to. Can you imagine how impossible it was to, 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 to deal with Paul? This is the focus that we need to have. This is the kingdom focus that we've been talking about. This focus is how we remain in the joy of our salvation. When we can have this idea that to live is Christ, as long as I'm here on this earth, I'm going to profess Christ. I'm going to live for his glory. And to die is gain. So if you kill me, no problem. I'm going to spend eternity with my Savior. We need this focus. Notice what Paul says. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Death is not something we should fear, but something that we should welcome. Now, Paul's not advocating that we end our own life. Remember, to live is Christ. That's his, his focus. As, as long as he's living, he's living for Christ. That being said, if God sought fit for today to be our last day on this planet, we should welcome that as believers. As believers, death isn't something to be feared. Why? Because death isn't the end for us. It's the beginning. I love my life. I have a great awesome life. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got four uh, great kids, and I've got my dream job. I love the people that I work with. I love the church that I serve. I love my life, but all of that goodness pales in comparison to what heaven and the glory of heaven is going to be like. That was Paul's mindset. That was his focus. So what is the result of this kind of focus? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Three outcomes of living with a kingdom focus and then we're done. I say that like this is going to be short. Uh, point one, a kingdom focus leads to kingdom impact. Verse 25. It says, since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Because Paul is persuaded that the Philippians, among others, still need his spiritual leadership, he knows it's important for him to remain and continue on living for Christ. Paul was not concerned about his own well-being. If you've ever read any of his letters, that's evident. He's not concerned about his own well-being. And this is where I think the American church misses it. Paul's continued ministry meant continued persecution. Right? If he's going to stay on the earth and continue in that fruitful ministry, what does that mean for him? It means persecution. 
It meant continued imprisonment. It meant continued sacrifice. And I think most of us today have this view that God wouldn't want you to risk your job or your health or your financial stability. We have this view that if something risks our own comforts, then it can't be from God because God is too loving to ever demand that we lay down our lives. But that's exactly what Jesus demands from his followers. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, his followers, if anyone, that includes you, that includes me, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? What do, we think we, what, do, what do we think he meant here? You, th- you think he meant there's no risk? You think he meant continue on in your comforts? No, that's not what Jesus meant. He meant he wants us to lay it all down. That this Christian life is not about comfort, it's about sacrifice. He wants us to lay it all down, to deny ourselves, to kill our desires, to live for his glory. Listen this morning, that's what following Jesus is all about. It's about sacrifice. It's about laying your own life down. So what does this mean? It means we can't give ourselves to the American dream and pursue all of the things of this world and still follow Jesus. The two are antithetical towards each other. You can't live your life for yourself and still say, well, I'm following Jesus. No, you're not. If you're living for yourself, you're following self. You're not following Christ. So how does this play out for Paul? Because he loved God, he loved others. His focus was on the advancement of God's kingdom. He invested himself completely in others. Look what he says in the text. He's he's saying it's important for me to continue living on, even though I want to go and spend eternity in the glory of heaven. It's important for me to continue on because you need me. You need to be grown spiritually. Right? His whole focus was on others. He cared more about spiritual growth uh, of the Philippians than he did his own security and comfort. This is what it looks like to live in the will of God. How much time and energy do we invest in the spiritual welfare of others? Ask yourself that question this morning. Let's take some time and let that soak in for a second. How much time do you spend on the spiritual welfare of other people? We say, well, man, I got to work. I got a job. I've got kids sports stuff every night of the week. I've got to spend time working on me. I live a stressful life. I need some time to decompress. All of that is just excuses for not living out God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to live for the spiritual welfare of others. He demands more than church attendance. He demands more than external morality. God wants more from you than to show up on a Sunday. He wants more from you than just to be a good person. God wants you, if you're a Christian in this room this morning, God wants you to proclaim the gospel and then disciple and teach those who respond to it. Deny yourself and take up your cross does not allow for a hands-off approach. You get that? Deny yourself, take up your cross is not, hey, well, let me just, let me walk down the aisle, say a prayer, get dunked, and then I'm gonna spend the rest of my life on myself and my interests. Those, they don't go together. Do you see that? Do you see that those don't go together? And listen, I'm going to tell you this because I love you 
And I want you to live in the joy of your salvation. I, I want nothing more for you than for you to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. We have a church in, in, in America today that is so weak, that is so self-absorbed, and, and, and they're not living in the joy of their salvation. They're so fearful, they're so angry. And I want you, as the Fellowship Baptist Church in Needleland, Texas, to be different than that. I want you to live in the joy of your salvation. So I'm going to be honest with you this morning. If you're not investing your life in the spiritual welfare of others, you are not living your life for Jesus. You're not. Stop fooling yourself. You don't have a kingdom focus, and because of that, you're, you aren't making a kingdom impact. When we have a kingdom focus, we'll have a kingdom impact. Our lives will be lived for the spiritual welfare of others. So what does this look like practically? It means that you share the gospel with those at work and take on the responsibility of discipling those who respond. It means that you share the gospel with those at the sports field and take on the responsibility for discipling those who respond. It means you invite your neighbors over on a Thursday night, even though you may be tired, for a meal and start developing a relationship so that you can share the gospel and take on responsibility for discipling those who respond. This life is so short. It's so short. Expend all of your energy and resources into the spiritual welfare of others. When our focus is not on ourselves and our circumstances, but on the glory of God, we will live for the spiritual welfare of others and see a kingdom impact. Not only that, but a kingdom focus leads to kingdom unity. Look what he says in verse 27. He says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, as Christians, right? As people with this elevated focus, this higher focus, a kingdom focus, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Let me give you a glimpse into the life of four kids. So last night, we are uh, hanging out at the house and Jackson and Davis are like mortal enemies. Uh, in fact, <laughs> Friday I brought Becca lunch and uh, Jackson was going to join us, and uh, Davis literally started crying when I told him Davis or Jackson was going to be in the truck with us. Uh, and, and so yesterday they're fighting, and they every five seconds they're, well, he, that one of them come in, well he touched me, and, and or the next one come in, well, he 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 said something mean to me. He said I was stupid, and then the other one come in and tattle. It's just nonstop. So finally I was like, listen, if you, either one of you, if one person comes in here and says anything, and tattles on the other, I'm going to make you hug each other for 15 minutes. 15 minutes, you're going to stand in front of me, and you're going to hug each other, and if you let go, we're going to restart the timer. So I got a picture. <laughs> this is a very unhappy learning experience for them. I feel like this is what we must look like to God sometimes as the church. He didn't say good morning to me. She looked at me rudely. That person, they just, they're not nice to me. Paul is saying that as a people who are citizens of heaven, people with a kingdom focus, people who have elevated our thought process above the things of this world, we should have a reputation of love and unity. Unfortunately, the church today doesn't have a reputation of love and unity. We're known for judgment and gossip. I just want to ask you a question, and everybody, let's just be honest. How many of you know someone who has left the church because of something that happened to them in the church? Someone was mean to them or something happened. How many of you? Raise your hand. Let's see it. 
Almost everybody in this room knows someone who has left the church because of some unfortunate conflict that arose between them and someone within the church. We'll read later, when we get to it, where Paul addresses a conflict between two prominent ladies in the Philippian church. Conflict is going to happen, right? Unresolved conflict in the church is incredibly dangerous. Unresolved conflict within the church is incredibly dangerous. It's like a bomb waiting to explode. It can cause all kinds of issues within a church when it goes unresolved. I think many of us, if not most of us, had, have had some level of conflict in the church, right? It's, it's unavoidable. Um, when, when you're doing life together at some point, you're going to drive each other crazy. That's just how it is. I remember when I was growing up, me and Stephen fought like cats and dogs. I mean, up until the point to, I mean, I was 20 when I moved out and he was 16. We were still fighting like crazy. But as soon as we moved out, we're great now. We have no issues because I don't have to deal with the fact that now he's like a clean freak. But back then he was a slob. He was disgusting. I, I hated living with him at that point. Now we're, we can be good friends because we don't have to live together, right? And, 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 but, but in church world, we have to do life together. That's part of being the church. And so when we do that, conflict will arise. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's okay to have conflict. It's not okay to let that conflict go unresolved and unforgiven. It's not okay. This isn't... The only time we see Paul address unity in the church, look what he says in Ephesians 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Here's that language again. Work, live your life as though you're genuinely saved, right? With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Paul gives us a formula for unity in the church here, right? He says humility. First of all, when we're dealing with conflict, we need to come to that conflict with humility. You're not better than the person you're irritated with. That's hard for us to understand sometimes, right? When we're irritated with somebody, we want to come in with our fists up. But you might be the one that's wrong. It's possible that you're in the wrong too. Maybe you're reading the situation wrong. Maybe you're making something personal that isn't personal. Maybe you're just up all, all up in your feels, Right? Maybe you're a little emotional. It's possible. We have bad days sometimes. We need to come into any conflict with humility. Not only that, he says gentleness. You don't always have to just tell it like it is. In, in, in Southeast Texas, we, we, we kind of look at that like that's an admirable trait. That's not an admirable trait. That's like anti-gospel, right? We see gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit. We should address conflict with gentleness. Not only that, he says Patience. And he says, bearing one another with love. Bearing one another means like enduring one another, right? There's always that one person that like just, you get, you're two very different people and there's this rub there and you have to just endure that person, right? That's what Paul's saying. We, in, in, in the last church I was at, they would call them EGRs, extra grace required. <laughs> It's not nice. People shouldn't say that. But, you know, sometimes there's people that you just don't, you just don't gel well with, right? And, and Paul says, bear one another w- with love. What if, what if God dealt with us like we deal with each other sometimes? What if he was so impatient with us? What if he had a short fuse? If that's you, that's a problem. You shouldn't have a short fuse. You should be patient with people. That's a fruit of the Spirit. You need to ask God to change your heart and help you be more patient with people. Paul says, bear one another with love. That means even if a person drives you crazy, give them some patience. Give them some room. And then he says, make every effort. 
Conflict resolution is, is, it, it requires work. It's not easy. Don't avoid it. Deal with it. We, a lot of people avoid conflict. You can't, you can't avoid that in the church. It's, like I said, it's, it's a ticking time bomb. You have to deal with it. It's not easy, but you have to deal with it. You're doing the body of Christ an injustice when you don't resolve conflict and harbor unforgiveness. If you're one of the people that you're mad at somebody, but you've never told them that you're mad at them, you're doing the, the, the body of Christ an injustice. We should make every effort to have peace among us. We should work towards that. Unity in the church is important. It's necessary, and it's the product of a kingdom focus. You can get over anything when your focus is on what really matters, right? All the little stupid stuff that we fight about means nothing when you put it in comparison with what we're actually supposed to be about, proclaiming the gospel. And we see that example in Paul last week, right? If you were here last week, we saw where Paul tells us that there's people who are taking advantage of the fact that he's in prison, people who are proclaiming the gospel, but they're doing it just to get back at Paul because they don't like Paul. They want to elevate themselves, and they're happy that Paul is under house arrest and that his status is being de-elevated, right? They're, they're, they're glad about that because it's an opportunity for them to get all the status and all the, the prestige of, of being one of the leaders in the church. They're, they're excited about that, and Paul is not concerned with that. In fact, he says, Hey, look, the, the gospel's being preached. So whether they do it with good motives or bad, at least the gospel's being preached. That's, that's his mindset. So he's elevated himself above all of the stupid little petty stuff, and his heart is focused on the glory of God. Again, life is short. Life is short. We don't have time to get swallowed up in unresolved conflict. We need to let stuff go and focus on building the kingdom. We must, uh, when we elevate our focus to the kingdom, we don't sweat the small stuff, and we make every effort to resolve the big stuff. And the last point is this. A kingdom focus leads to kingdom suffering. Look at verse 28. It says, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Persecution is inevitable. Jesus promised it. He told us it was coming. It's inevitable. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would also keep yours. Jesus tells us, hey, don't be surprised. You're going to be persecuted. If you're following after me, if you're living this life like you're supposed to, persecution and trials will come. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive. People leave churches all the time when they hear the gospel preached because that's, that's offensive. It's, it's, it's offensive to hear someone tell you, hey, you're a sinner and you're a sinner. Your, your sin brings on the wrath of God and the only way away from that wrath of God is for you to surrender your life to Christ and, and trust in him as your savior and your king. That, that's an offensive, offensive gospel, but it changes lives. We should expect to meet opposition when we're living out our faith. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Suffering is not something to be avoided. Suffering is something to celebrate as believers. 
because we're suffering with Christ. We will be tested. It's not easy to live out your faith. It's not easy. This, this, this abundant life that Christ offers is not always an easy choice because there's so many things that draw us away, draw our affections away from God. It's not always easy. Even if you don't face the threat of death or jail like Paul, you're still going to be attacked spiritually. I, uh, I have this thing that I hide snacks in the house. So we've got four, I mean, you've got four kids. You've got to do what you've got to do, right? They will, they will eat all the snacks on day one. We do a grocery order. It's like $300, and day one, you go in there to grab a honey bun or something. That's, that stuff is gone. So I learned a long time ago, they're way shorter than me. I'm the tallest person in the house. So if I can hide something way up in the back, they'll never find it. Also, like ice cream, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm not bigger than, than, than hiding that stuff, too. I'll hide it in, like, different containers, and they'll think, well, that's broccoli. I'm not going to eat that. I mean, I'll, I'll hide it in all kinds of stuff. I, I, there's been points in time where I will uh, get an ice cream cone and go eat it in the bathroom with the door locked because <laughs> I don't want to share. I'm a little bit stingy. But there's also been times where, like, I want some ice cream, and I don't want their grubby hands in it, some bluebell, you know. And so I'll go into their room and put them to bed. Like, shh, just go to sleep. There's nothing for you in the kitchen. Just go to sleep. It's all good. Shh. Right? That's what Satan is like. He wants you to go to sleep spiritually. He doesn't want you to experience the goodness of the abundant life that God wants. So he'll come to you and say, shh, don't worry about making a kingdom impact. Here's Netflix. Binge out. Right? Shh, don't worry about living for the glory of God. You deserve some rest. You have a hard life. You're so busy. You got so much stuff going. You deserve this. Shh, just go to sleep. You don't need to make any kingdom impact. Satan wants you to live distracted and focused on self. That's what he wants. Right? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He, he, he wants to rob you of the fruit that God wants to give you. That's what he wants for you. And we buy into it. Right? We, we, we believe the lie that your life is so busy and you just need some time for self. That you deserve to sit there and watch six hours of some stupid show on Netflix. Right? That, that you deserve your time at night to yourself. Look, I'm not saying that it's bad to rest. Obviously, the Bible teaches that there's a time to rest. There's also a time to labor for the gospel. And I feel like we do a lot more resting than we do laboring for the gospel. We may be busy, but we're busy doing all of the things that don't matter in comparison to what we've actually truly been called to do. If you want to start living with this kingdom focus, Satan's going to hit you hard with temptation and persecution. So persecution is inevitable, but, but Paul tells us we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of this persecution. We don't have to fear those who persecute you. When we remain focused on the kingdom, what can they do to us? It's like Paul said, if they kill us, we get to enter into the reward of our salvation. If they let us live, we get to continue to live for Christ. If they talk about us, who cares? We get to still live for the glory of God. There's nothing to fear. That's what Jesus taught as well in Matthew 10, 28. He says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
We don't fear man. There's nothing man can do to us. Philippians 4, 6, we'll get to later, but we're going to cover tonight again, or this morning again. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about this life. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't fear what man can do to you. Set your focus on the kingdom, and fear loses all power. That's the thing that cripples us when we're actually trying to share the gospel. Anytime I've ever asked anybody, why don't you actually go out and share the gospel? They're like, man, I'm just so afraid. What if they don't receive it? They probably won't, but you're still called to tell them about it. Right? You're still commanded by, by Jesus to go and make disciples. Well, what if I don't have the right thing to say? Study the scriptures so that you will have the right thing to say. Persecution is inevitable, but we don't have to fear. Not only that, but we don't hate the persecutor. This is a hard one. Rather than fear man, we mourn their destruction. Paul says in the text, this is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, which is from God, right? Your salvation is from God. It's not of your own works. It's not like you enlightened yourself and worked hard and earned your salvation. No, this is a product of the Holy Spirit in your life. There's a temptation to think, yeah, they're going to get what they deserve. Their destruction, they're going to get it. They deserve it. Don't go there. Don't let yourself forget what you deserve. Right? You don't deserve heaven. You deserve eternal separation from God. But the mercy of God opened the door for you to experience reconciliation. Look what Stephen says in response to his persecution in Acts 7. It says, while they were stoning Stephen, killing him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, he died. Jesus was the same way, right? Luke, 33, or Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. And then what do they do? They divided his clothes and cast lots. They mocked him. We shouldn't rejoice in the demise of those who persecute us. Jesus taught this in Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Right? A sign that we're truly saved is that we would mourn the lostness of people around us even when they persecute us. Persecution is inevitable. When we're living with a kingdom focus, persecution will come, but we don't respond to that persecution with hatred for the persecutor. We respond with love and forgiveness. That's what it looks like to have a kingdom focus, right? If, you're, if your focus is elevated above all of the circumstances of this world, then when people persecute you, you don't take it personal. You recognize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? Our, our enemy is Satan and not people, and so we don't take it personally. We can, we can rise above that persecution. We need Christians to start living in the joy of their salvation. We have a church today, and I'm not specifically talking about fellowship. I'm talking about the church as a whole in America. It is not joyful. They're just not. I mean, five seconds on the internet will, will tell you that. We need people to elevate their focus from the circumstances of this world to the kingdom of God. We've got to have people to stop living in the here and now. Stop worrying about all of the stuff that's happening here and now and start focusing on the reward of heaven and living their lives for Christ. 
We need a church that gets serious about their faith, to get serious about the truth of the gospel. Do we really believe this stuff? Because it should affect how we live our lives. We shouldn't respond to things like everybody else. We should respond to things differently. We need to set our minds on the things above. Colossians 3 verse 1 says, So if you have been raised with Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been made new uh, by, the, by the gospel, so uh, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, right, to live as Christ, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, your life is hidden with Christ. So start living with your heart and mind focused on that reality. Listen, I live in this world too. I get it. It's so easy. It's so easy to get distracted by the things of this world. I, yesterday, Beck and I were coming home. Uh, we had went and uh, visited some friends uh, who were in the hospital, and, and we were coming home, and I've got this thing in my truck. I've got an old truck. It's an 04, uh, but I, I love my truck usually. But here lately, it's like these little things start breaking on it. And the, this, uh, this thing has been happening on the driver's side, the little blend door actuator will shift while I'm driving, and it'll be air conditioner, and all of a sudden, boom, it's like blowing straight heat on me. And in Southeast Texas, that's enough to make you want to, like, lose your mind, right? Enough to make you want to, like, wreck the truck into something and go buy a new one. Well, the only way to reset it is to pull over, turn the truck off, turn the truck back on, and it resets and starts blowing cold. And so we live kind of behind Philpot Ford or whatever, and so... I did the thing where we loop around and we, we turn off there, off a canal. And so I did the little loop around. I pulled over right there by all those brand new trucks. I put my truck in park, turn it off and turn it back on. And there's something that starts to well up inside of me, right? This desire for the things of this world starts to well up inside of me. Like, man, I work hard. I deserve a new truck. Right? You start to focus your heart and mind on circumstances. Then you start to, your, your affections start to be stirred for the things of this world. That is so incredibly dangerous for us as believers. Right? We have to war against that in our soul. When those things start to well up and we start to get focused on circumstances and our affections start to get stirred for the things of this world, we have to fight that. We have to make war against that. And we have to elevate our thoughts above the things of this world and focus our lives on the glory of heaven and live our lives now because it's so short. Live our lives now for Christ. Happiness is not sufficient to get you through your walk as a Christian. You need the joy only the Holy Spirit can give. Some of you are hearing this and realizing this is completely foreign to your life. When you hear this and you're like, man, that, that's not me. What you're describing is not me. I, I am focused on the things of this world and I know it. And I know that I've never truly surrendered my life to Christ. There's no kingdom focus. There's no kingdom impact. There's no unity. There's no persecution in my life. Maybe you're realizing right now that you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you said a prayer. Maybe you walked an aisle, maybe you even got dunked in some water, but you never actually surrendered your life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, man, we would love an opportunity to talk to you about that. 
We'd love an opportunity to be able to walk you through Scripture and show you what it looks like to not just surrender to Jesus as a Savior, but to surrender to Jesus as a Lord, to give him all authority in your life. This morning, maybe, maybe you know you've surrendered your life to Jesus, but you're not living with this kingdom focus that we've been talking about. Maybe your focus hasn't, maybe it's been fixated on your circumstances and not on the kingdom of God. Maybe it's like that moment in the truck yesterday where you just kind of get focused on what's going on around you and, and, and things start to stir up that, that aren't really of God. My, my, my challenge to you this morning would be to repent of that. To, to admit it, to acknowledge it, to acknowledge that maybe your heart is not stirred for the things of Christ. Maybe you're not living your life for Christ, like Paul said, right? To live as Christ. Maybe that's not being your focus. Repent of that. And, and, and choose today to start living this short, short life for the glory of God. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to. I want to take a moment to give you a moment to, to really evaluate your heart and evaluate your life. And if you say, you know what, Daniel, I know that I'm a Christian. There, there's no question about that. I know that I've given my life to Christ, but I also know that I struggle with living in the circumstances of life. I know that I struggle with focusing myself on all the circumstances and, and I get really wrapped up in the things of this world and, and, and I, I just struggle to, to keep that elevated focus, that kingdom focus. If that's you in this room, I don't want to embarrass you or anything, but I do want to pray for you. And so if that's you, I, I want to ask you just right where you're at, just slip your hand up. If you're willing to admit, hey, I'm a Christian, I know I'm a Christian, but I struggle to keep my focus on the kingdom. I, I struggle to keep my focus elevated. If that's you, slip your hand up. There's hands all over most important part is acknowledging that, admitting that, right? But then the other important part is repenting of that. And repentance is different than just feeling sorry, right? Guilt and repentance aren't the same thing. You can hear a sermon and feel guilty and go home and continue to live on the life that you lived before, but repentance is mourning the sin and turning your back on it and pursuing the things of God. So I'm a challenge to you this morning that's you, if you raise your hand, that, that you would repent of that this morning. You would ask God to change your heart, to stir your affections for the things of him and, and to elevate your focus on the King. Father God, I thank you for the hands that were raised. I thank you for their heart and acknowledging that yeah, they're a Christian, but they've not been living with a kingdom focus. So God, I pray that for all of us, we all we're all honest, we all struggle with this. It's, it's this constant battle between flesh and spirit. And, and if we're honest, we all struggle with this. So God, I pray that, that in all of our lives, in all of our lives, that, that you would help us to see that the value of our lives is, is found in living completely, holy, fully surrendered to you. That we wouldn't allow our focus to come down into the things of this world, but we would elevate our focus so that we can live in the joy of our salvation. So that we can experience the abundant life that you came to offer us. A life 
kingdom unity where we get to live in this 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 brotherhood this this family where we work together to proclaim this gospel and yes a life of persecution where we get to so much for listening and we always welcome you to join us at fellowship church in nederland texas where we gather grow give and go